we have this competitive mentality of my people are hearing these podcasts of these guys, so I've got to really come across and deliver. Yeah, but that guy's not going to stand by a hospital bed. He's not driving into your little town and holding your hand when your spouse gets cancer. You are. And that's where you earn your voice. You earn your voice in your ministry, which gives you the right to stand up and preach. Well, that's the voice of Michael Cat, and I'm Dan Jacobson. This is the Warren Wearsby Preaching Podcast. Today's conversation is with Pastor Emeritus of Sherwood Baptist Church, Michael Catt. It's so fun. Uh, he shares stories of cracking into Warren Wearsby's friendship circle, how he, as a young pastor, developed his own voice for his people. And we discuss the ultra-famous movies that put Sherwood pictures in the center of evangelicalism with films like Fireproof and Facing the Giants and what that was like for him to pastor a church that was also making major motion pictures. I love talking with Michael. He's a deep thinker and a true pastor. He's always quick to move the spotlight away from himself and champion the work of God and others. So uh, if you're like me and have only been leading in the church for a decade or so, honestly, if you're just starting out in ministry, Michael here is about to dispense some truth bombs and nuggets of wisdom that took him years to discover, but I think his words can put a jetpack on your ministry. Uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with my friend, Michael Cat. Well, Michael, thanks for taking time to sit down and, and have a conversation today about preaching. It's wonderful to talk to you. Thanks, Dan. It's, uh, it's been fun getting to know you um, as an extension of your grandfather's life and ministry. And uh, even times that I can remember, we had conversations about you and what God was doing in your life and and his joy in seeing the ministry continue through generations. I think that blessed him in many, many ways. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to what you just said that we could unpack uh, as it relates to my own experience. But I really want to ask you some questions. I know, I know, um, many of the people who are listening to this podcast today maybe aren't aware that the reason there even is a podcast is because of you. Uh, and so uh, there, this kind of goes back to um, a partnership that you and my grandfather had. Uh, just birthed out of your friendship. So uh, I'd right. love for you to take us on the journey. You met Warren Wearsby years ago, and just uh, we're blessed yeah. to have a, a relationship with him. Can you just share the story of that? Sure. Uh, 1994 was the first time I heard him at the Cove. And uh, I went because of him. And he was doing a five-day seminar with a pastor out of Virginia who I cannot remember his name. Uh, on church and on what is a New Testament church. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So there are like a hundred preachers in the room. And, um, you know, I, I kind of operate by the principle, the answer is no until you ask. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, could I sit down and talk with you or share a meal with you or anything? And you know, he kind of gave me the standard that they have this reserved table for us and everything else. And and so then, you know, he would work a room. I mean, he was the master of working a room. It didn't matter how many people were in it. 
if he was through eating, he had breezed by every table in there. Hey, man, how are you? You know, that's exactly him. You know, and everybody (laughs) felt like, you know, their great uncle had just walked by him. And, you know, and, and I've been at the Cove enough with guys that never made themselves available Hmm. to see the difference that it was with people when Warren would walk around the room. He was never in a hurry after he got through eating. And so the next morning he comes by and I said, you know, one day we need to have a conversation about a mutual friend. And he said, well, who's that? I said, Vance Havner. And he said, join me for lunch. That was your ticket. That was it. (laughs) So we sat down at a table and talked for an hour and a half about Vance Havner and laughed so much that literally people were stopping eating and turning around and looking at us saying, what's so funny? And of course, we were both impersonating Havner, uh, that nasal North Carolina tone. So then I thought, hey, I'm just going to give it a shot. See if he'll come preach for us ever for any reason. Yeah. No, I don't do that anymore. And he was still doing the big 10,000 preachers in Jacksonville, which he called the great American preach off. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, well, I've got a, a better sermon than you got. And I'm going to follow you and bang, bang. And, we're just, you know? and so he had just stopped doing that. And he came by the table one day and he gave me a script text card and he said, call me. And I went, I just got the lottery. And so I got home and I called him. He said, let's talk about a time when I could come to Sherwood. So he came, he came and built, built with you a few conferences that you guys had run and came and preached. Tell us about that. Well, uh, we continued to develop our relationship at the Cove. My wife and I went. Terry got to know Betty. Um, she would take her to Talbot's. Of course. <laughs> then Betty would never buy anything. Although Warren would say, go buy something. You know, and she would never buy anything. But Terry would take her shopping and Warren and I would go find used bookstores. And sometimes we'd go to their room and spend an hour or so with them in the afternoon. Finally, he agreed to come. And he said, now, Michael, I'm going to do this, but you can't advertise it. I said, okay. He said, I've told Jerry Vines no, that I'm not coming back to Jacksonville. And if he finds out I'm coming to preach for you, he's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> so I said, you got me. I'm I'm not saying a word. We just tell our people and advertise it locally. And, you know, social media was nothing at that point. So he came and he did two Bible conferences. He did two bridge builders where we invited local pastors in. We fed them a prime rib dinner. They spent the morning with Warren. Uh, he did a whole thing, which was incredible on the theology of change, which should be put into a book. I was incredible. Yeah. So I'm, I, you know, having, uh, a ton of resources at my disposal of my grandfather's somewhat thanks to you. Uh, you had sent me the, the DVDs of those breakout sessions, the theology of change part one and two is, uh, I I've quoted it before to my churches 
there it's incredible. And to see the, you know, some, some preachers are, are truly prophetic in the way that they read the times, but also, um, able to galvanize people in the ancient historical narrative of how we operate right. and the theology of change, just what he did in, in taking, uh, how the early church adapted and, and, and moved on yet how God moves churches in the time that we are in now. Uh, I think it was, was that 2003, 2004? I think it's 2003. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it, it reads like it was built for a pandemic era church. Oh, I know. It's, it's, I mean, current. So I'll I'll go back. I asked him one day on a phone call, where are all your old messages? And he said, "Ah, they're they're in boxes in my garage. Yeah. He said, nobody cares about hearing my messages. And so I would just, that was like throwing a bone to a dog to me. Mm. So every time I go, okay, let's talk about the messages. He said, I, I I never had more than three or four really good messages, you know, that I did. And I said, Warren, you've got to get those messages out. I said, they're decaying. You live in Nebraska. It gets cold. Tapes <laughs> break. Right. And he said, no, nah, nobody wants them. And there were like six boxes. And so I just kept saying, let us do something with those. I said, they're your messages, but let us just convert them to CDs so they'll last another 100 years. And and I said, 50 years from now, somebody's going to want to know what you sounded like. I said, now, I'm going to give you a perfect example. You have said to me, I can hear Vance Havner when I read his books because I heard him. Same thing is true with you. If anybody's ever heard your voice, they hear your voice when they read your books because you have a pastoral voice and and there's an ebb and flow about what you do and they need to hear it. So one day, Debbie, my assistant, said there are eight boxes of all shapes and sizes sitting in the mailroom. I said, where are they from? She said, they're from Dr. Wearsby. And so he sent them to me. So most of them, we sent off and had them remastered, you know, to take the hiss out and everything else. So when I started sending them back to him, he called me one day, he said, how did you do that? (laughs) I said, do what? He said, how did you? He said, I remember preaching and the sirens would be going down by Moody Church and, you know, the guy standing in the back and the baby's crying and it's all gone. I said, I don't know, but the guy we paid to do it got it all out. He says, it sounds like I did it yesterday. I said, that was the point. <laughs> well, it's it's an incredible gift and I'm glad that he finally came around. Part of, you know, I remember my grandfather's uh, philosophy. He said this to us. Um, he was very worried about what, um, I'll just say it this way. He was worried about what we would do with his stuff after he died. Right. I mean, right. and he didn't, he, he thought a voice is for a time. And, um, I think we've all been blessed by old preachers mm-hmm. and use books 
and yep. thing, you know, some of the best theologians, they're not alive today. And so I think his, his, his worry was always, he'd say, you know, the church is always one generation away from, from extinction. And I think a lot of his worry was that if, if his voice continues to be a trusted dominant voice, 10, 20 years after he died, perhaps that would be crowding out someone else's gift or someone else's voice. I don't think he could have anticipated podcasts. Mm. I don't think he could have no, anticipated no. just the explosion of content and the availability for us. And, and what, what we would really need in the future is not um, just current voices, but trusted voices. Yes. And yes. to be able to have trusted voices today is a real gift. And so uh, he used to say to us, you know, when I die, pull everything off the, off the air. Like, mm. I don't want, I don't want my voice going out over the radio because I'm with, I'm with Jesus. I'll have nothing else to say here on earth. And, and well, I, and, I and Dan, don't often the, disagree yeah. with, I don't often disagree with my grandpa, but I disagree. Yeah. I definitely disagree with his, his, I, I think humility in that moment of just saying like, you know, God is going to use someone else at another time and um, let, let that be that. So, well, he never had an exalted opinion of himself and, you know, I, I remember him saying one time, when I, after I get through with my sermon, before I preach, I always read Spurgeon just to make sure I didn't miss a point. And I thought, wouldn't we love to hear what Spurgeon sounded like? Oh, my goodness. We yeah. can read him, but yeah. the, a voice that could fill a 10,000 seat room yeah. without a microphone. But what he was acknowledging was there is a voice in the past that I double-check myself, even though I feel sure that I've studied the text, did Spurgeon find something that I missed, or did I miss something that I thought I was on the right path, and maybe I wasn't? And that humility of, I'm going to go check myself. Uh, and I, I just, I said to him one day, I said, Warren, only God knows how many preachers have survived bivocationally because of your books. And you're, you're back to the Bible books. I guarantee you yeah. every one of those little back to the Bible books has been a Wednesday night sermon series in thousands of churches across 50 denominations <laughs> because it's just a guy doesn't have time to do the depth of work your grandfather was able to do. And so he goes, trusted voice, trusted voice. Hey, let's, uh, let's double, let's double down on this idea here. Cause I think we're talking about something that's really relevant to pastors today. You know, I, I'm uh, a, a teaching pastor at a church in Kansas, so I'm not you know, too far from Nebraska and uh, in this, in a similar type of church as when my grandpa was. And, um, the temptation when you're when you're Warren Wearsby's grandson is to sound like Warren Wearsby. I remember uh, another pretty well-known pastor, his son coming up to me one day saying, you know, how how do you make sure that you're not just a poor man's Wearsby? And mm -hmm. uh I asked him, you know, how how do you make sure you're not just a poor man's version of your dad? And the the reality is a ruthless commitment to being who you are. You know, Phillips Brooks' uh, whole idea of preaching of, of God's truth through a man's personality, I think that's how Brooks put it, 
that that it's the combination of 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 a of a of a person who God has uniquely made with his his own personality, who who he infuses his truth through. That's how right. God uses uh, us to reach people. And right. uh, I, I think you know the the Wearsby voice is distinct, right? There's yes. there's not there's not one like it. It doesn't sound like Spurgeon, even though he he was very interested in Spurgeon. Um, it didn't sound like Havner, although he tried to impersonate Havner quite often. Uh, I think there's a real temptation today for pastors to try and emulate someone else's voice. Did you ever, did you ever go through a season in your own preaching where you just had, it was a little bit of a quest to find your own voice? How did you do that? Well, um, first of all, I got saved in the Jesus movement and was called to preach shortly after that, uh, went to tell my youth pastor and he was preaching at a revival in church about 15 miles away. And the pastor of that church looked at me and said, you're preaching for me Sunday night in three weeks. I'm going, wait, I didn't mean that kind of call. Uh, I was like, you know, in three or four years after I <laughs> learned how to study the Bible or something, he said, no, you're preaching in three weeks. So, I mean, I worked, I worked, I studied, I preached a message on uh, discipleship out of Luke 14. And I took a resounding 18 minutes. <laughs> I thought I had enough material to go an hour and a half. Uh, but I surrendered to Lordship under Vance Havner. And so his prophetic voice, you know, because Havner could cut a sequoia with a butter knife. I mean, he just, his prophetic voice was unlike any other. Uh, I tell people he started a meeting at our church on Easter Sunday. And the first thing out of his mouth was Merry Christmas. <laughs> and everybody kind of laughed and he paused and he said, well, I said Merry Christmas because most of you won't be back until Christmas. And I wanted to be the first to tell you Merry <laughs> Christmas. And, you know, being a young, smart aleck, 19 year old kid, I thought, I want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be him. And, you know, so I read his books. Uh, he mentored me. And there is a part of me that is prophetic when I preach. Mm. That is part of his DNA in my life. I cannot deny that. That that's a part of his DNA in my life. Ron Dunn was probably a greater influence in my life as far as expounding scripture through your own personality. Ron was saved under the ministry of J. Harold Smith in Fort Smith, Arkansas, who was a huge, famous uh, preacher, Southern Baptist preacher. And uh, he got ordained when he's like 16 years old. And so everybody called him Ronnie as a kid. And so Jay Harrell gets up and says, now, Ronnie, God doesn't want you to be Billy Graham. And Ron said, I'm sitting on the front row and saying, that, that's my first choice. Yeah, right. <laughs> he says, now, Ronnie, God doesn't want you to be W.A. Crystal. He said, well, that's my second choice. He said, Ronnie, God wants you to be Ronnie done full of Jesus. And he said, my first thought was, who wants to be Ronnie Dunn 
and yet one of the greatest expositors I've ever known who battled all his life bipolar manic depression hmm. and yet walked in victory. And when he preached, you could tell he was preaching out of God's sufficiency in his weakness. And it was amazing, you know, and and I realized then God doesn't want me to be an impersonator. He wants me to find my own voice. But I think we're all influenced by the voices of people that have spoken to us, whether it's on leadership or preaching or revival or prayer or whatever it might be. Uh, I can look back and honestly, Dan, there are times when I have listened to Warren so much. I've listened to Ron so much. I've listened to Vance Havner so much that I'll be preaching and something from them will just come out that I didn't plan on saying. Yeah. You know, and I just, in those moments, I feel like I'm spending half my time saying, oh, wait, forgot to put the quote marks yeah. up, you know, and then like I'll see a quote from somebody on Twitter and I go, uh, Warren Wiersbe said that you just took credit for it, but but Warren, but I've done that, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's hard to find your own voice, and I don't think you find it early. Yeah. Uh, so that's the challenge that I think most young pastors face, and and maybe if you could speak to, um, you know, there's there's a we know that some twenty to twenty five year olds listen to this podcast and are interested. Yeah. Which blows me away that, you know, Gen Z listens to Warren Wearsby. That's right. just crazy to me. Yeah. yeah. But I'm I'm grateful for it. It's hopeful for me because I think it's, you know, I'm biased, but I think it's trusted um, ways of delivering relevant gospel word. How how would you encourage the the picking up and, and the dissection that happens when you listen to preaching? The study of the craft of preaching, communication is a is a skill. All of us go through the the process of trying to understand why someone's voice and their methods connect with people. Well, I, I think this is not a knock on seminary, but we tend to produce cookie cutter preachers. Preach this way in Southern Baptist life. It's three, you know, there's always three points in a poem, uh, and sometimes a message doesn't need three points. Sometimes it needs one really good point. Danger, and this is one of the dangers I've seen. I did a young leaders uh, tour, for lack of a better word, in four cities in Georgia uh, back in January, all guys 20 to 40. And uh, I said, guys, don't, don't, you're not competing against the guy down the street. And you're not the guy with the newest book that's in the top 10 on Amazon. Just be who you are. And I loved what Warren said. No big churches, no small churches. No big preachers, no small preachers. Hmm. Just churches and preachers. And we have this competitive mentality of my people are hearing these podcasts of these guys. So I've got to really come across and deliver yeah, but that guy's not going to stand by a hospital bed. He's not driving into your little town and holding your hand when your spouse gets cancer. You are. And that's where you earn your voice. 
you earn your voice in your ministry, which gives you the right to stand up and preach. And I think um, the grass isn't greener. <laughs> you know, we got this whole move every two to three years, uh, jump. Uh, somebody said if the grass is greener on the other side, there's a septic tank underneath it. Um, or it's either AstroTurf, one or the other. <laughs> right. I've never seen a church it was everything they said they were. Right. Um, and um, I think the comparison game makes a guy feel inadequate. And there's a difference between knowing I'm not sufficient in my own strength and saying I'm inadequate. Because the one who called you is your adequacy. He's the one that makes you adequate. It's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's the authority of the word. It's not in your, uh, you know, I, I used to serve with a pastor that you almost had to think, take a thesaurus with you to church and go, wait, can we stop? I need to look that word up. I have Because <laughs> every week his goal was to introduce us to a new word. And I thought, is this what I'm supposed to be doing when yeah, I preach? Right, right. Um, I, I think another thing for a young guy is start small. You know, start with Philippians, First John, something, but preach through a book of the Bible. If you don't do that, you just start sounding the same every week, and you skip around those verses you don't want to deal with. You jump them. Um, so I think preaching through a book of the Bible makes you deal with uncomfortable topics, but it also makes you deal with everything in context. And, and too many times we, and you know, there are people in the Christian world who make a living off of verses out of context. Yeah, they, so, they sell coffee cups most of the time. That's exactly right. Coffee yeah. cup versus. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I think for a young guy, uh, just plow and plod, plant seeds. Uh, don't worry if you don't see a harvest this week. Uh, the longer you stay, the more fruit you're going to see. And yeah, that, that last part is so, I think, um, needs to be shouted one more time for the people in the back <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, be, because it is, it is such a temptation to climb ladders and go, go higher and, and be wider and to take shortcuts. Um, and sometimes copying, copying the voice of someone else, it seems like an easy shortcut, but it really is cutting out the legs from underneath you, the gift that God's put inside of you. And a lot of the best selling books, Dan, uh, sometimes you wonder if the authors will ever admit they're in a battle. Yeah. You know, it's like this caricature facade of it can't be that good. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it can't be that good. You really have got. And one of the things with me going through cancer is I've started doing these things. I just did two of them in the last month where I talk about the battles of the ministry. And I said, you'll never. 
connect with your people more than when you let them know you're going through a battle. Uh, I used to call it the FDR fireside chat. When you just get out from behind the pulpit, you sit down on the front steps of the church and say, I need five minutes to talk to you. I need to tell you what I'm thinking. It just needs to be shepherd and sheep. And you shepherd from the word. You just don't shepherd. You know, there are guys that are great pastors, not great preachers. There are guys that are great preachers, not really great pastors. But you shepherd both ways. It's a two-sided coin. You know, and if you leave out one, you miss the purpose of the voice of my sheep, hear my voice. So if there's a voice in a wolf <laughs> deceiving your people or a competitor, quote unquote, down the road that's stealing your sheep, you're going to get angry. You're going to get bitter. You're going to think, well, I'm going to let that out from the pulpit and let them know what I think about that. Or are you going to trust God that he may be pruning you and your church? Uh, prime example, we were talking about movies. We had three backdoor revivals at Sherwood. Never had a split, but we had a couple of times when 100 people would leave, go to yeah. another church. Yeah, And uh, I tell people now, it hurt me when it happened. Because if you're worth your salt, you take it personally. Um, but if God hadn't pruned those people out of Sherwood, we would have never made the movies. Because they would have been against anything that didn't look like Sunday school and church and mission meetings and dinner on the grounds. That's all they wanted to do. So we would have never extended our borders if those people had stayed. So God pruned us of some bad limbs and also pruned some good limbs so we could bear more fruit. Uh, did you call it a backdoor revival? I've back never door heard, revival. I've never yeah, heard that phrase. Back door I, revival. I, I love, uh, I love now, what I it implies, right? Because it's a, yeah. it's a trusting that God is, you know, I, um, I call them accidental church plants. Yeah. My, there's yeah. like six of them. That have, that have the church that I pastor, there, you know, the, the Kansas City area is blessed because of the accidental church plants that have happened. In well, Colorado. I have a friend that drives by churches and calls them other things because he says, uh, let me tell you what that church is because God never birthed it. Ooh. <laughs> it's not a member of the family. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. <laughs> so now we'll give you a quote that your grandfather only used with me one time, and you could probably never use it on a podcast <laughs> but i called him in the 90s and i was complaining about these people are leaving i you know i don't know i've i've done their kids wedding i've buried mm. their parents i've done and they're walking off and leaving and he goes oh michael every healthy body has to vomit every now and then And yeah, and uh, the 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 reality we we you know we we got a couple pastors who are uh, pulling over to the side of the road to laugh right now, Michael, because they're feeling this right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, 20, 2020, 2021, 22, You you um 
recently, uh, God's, God's changed your, uh, ministry. You mentioned your cancer journey and I know that's changed some of the ways that you operated, uh, from, from before, but you were a pastor in 2020, uh, yeah. and you remember, and you worked through and, and having pastored, you pastored Sherwood for 29 years, 31 and a half years, 31 and a half years. And I'm sure even in the midst of the craziness of a pandemic and, um, you know, you pastored in Georgia, which has yep. had some yep. interesting political situations come up. I'm right. sure it's, it's just been, yep. it's been difficult. Right. Uh, and so I think a lot of pastors today are wondering how, how do we continue to have signs of, of health and, and progress into the future so that the church can be the expression of hope that really reaches the world. You know, you would once, I don't know if I can lead you, uh, with this, with the, telling a story. I, I kind of hate when people, uh, prompt someone else to tell a story, but I'm going to do it right now. Uh, there was a thing you told me, um, uh, that, that my grandfather had once told you. And, um, I think it, it was a moment of courage. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you, do you, yeah, do you yeah. fill in the gaps on that? Uh, we were in Tampa and he and, uh, Jim Simbler were doing a fresh wind, fresh fire conference. And Terry and I and Betty and Warren were at breakfast that morning. And it was right at the beginning of the movie conversations and just the birthing of all of that. For Sherwood Pictures. For Sherwood Pictures. Yeah. And so I said, Warren, I, I got friends of mine who think I'm an idiot. I mean, they think, what are you doing? This is not what churches do. You know, what are you doing? And we were getting up from the table and he tapped me on the shoulder and he grabbed my arm. He turned me around and he said, Michael, we need Mavericks. We need renegades. He said, look at the scriptures. God used people that did what everybody else said you shouldn't be doing. So that's the prophets. You know, that's Moses. Why would you go back? after you've gotten out of Egypt and say, hey, I'm here to deliver you. And so he just talked about that ministry is moved by mavericks. It's not It's not moved by conformists. It's moved by nonconformists. Uh, Havner used to say, uh, the church now builds monuments with the rocks they threw at the prophets. Isn't that true? <laughs> And that's true. I mean, people hated Spurgeon in his own day. We think today nobody hated Spurgeon. But boy, he threw the gauntlet down on some areas. And rightly so. You know, Tozer the same way. I mean, uh, Billy Sunday said, they tell me I'm rubbing the cat's hair the wrong way. And he said, tell the cat to turn around. <laughs> So uh, I, I'd love to know, I mean, that was a, it was an incredible, I, I got to imagine that was a moment where a friend of yours encourages you oh, and it oh, makes, yeah. it makes sense. It's almost, you know, the, the, one of the lesser ways that God would speak to you is, you know, every time you open the word, God opens his mouth, but yeah. he also uses people to yeah. help us along the way. And it sounds like that was a, a moment to give you a sense of confidence into uh, a, a new form of ministry. I'm curious to know, uh, you know, uh, many of our listeners, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners, uh, know the Sherwood pictures, you know, you, you guys to facing the giants and fireproof and, and all right. those. I, I wonder 
what was that? What was that like to be a pastor along the ride for that? I, I don't know if you'd be willing to share some of what that journey was like. Well, uh, you're definitely out there by yourself. Um, and yet, when that began to birth in Alex, uh, you know, I, I had a conversation with Alex and I said, Alex, where do you see yourself in three to five years? And he said, well, I'd really like to make Christian movies, but I don't know if I could be on church staff and do it. And I said, why not? I said, bring me a script, bring me a budget, and let's just see what God says. So he did. And when he read the script to me, I wept. It was flywheel. We made it for $20,000. That's so incredible. I'm, I'm down at a pastor's meeting in Orlando. There's 80 pastors in the room. And this friend of mine says, hey, Michael, uh, tell everybody about this movie y'all are making. And I've known some of these guys for years, and they look at me like he's on dope. <laughs> he's lost his mind. And so I tell them, and it's like I'm, I'm getting mocked by some of my peers. And I'm thinking, okay, did God tell us to do this? Yeah. Do, do you remember, Michael? I mean, I'm, that's that's curious to me now. You can look back, you know, 20 years into the rearview yeah. mirror. But do you remember what some of the criticisms or the what the misconceptions were? Well, why would a church make movies? That's why you have Hollywood. Uh, that's why you have these Christian film producers. One of the things I said in there is, you know, Billy Graham started this with Billy Graham Pictures. I mean, they would go literally to a movie theater in a town with those massive reels of film in the trunk of a car, go show it, give an invitation, take an offering, take it off, drive to the next town. Right. And that was the inspiration for us is that there had been a gap, two things. There had been a gap and most Christian movies had gotten really cheesy. Uh, you can say that. That's okay. We all we all know it's true. Yeah. So we, we wanted to be true to the gospel. We wanted every film for the gospel to be clearly presented. But we didn't want to be cheesy. We wanted to, we wanted it to be real life. So you've got the struggle with infertility in facing the giants. You've got a marriage on the verge of divorce in fireproof. You've got the death of a child and a father struggling with his adequacy as a role model for a son in Courageous. Uh, Flywheel, you've got a guy that says he's a Christian, but he's ripping people off on a car lot. So you've got life issues. Well, what we discovered was we got letters and emails from people that were car salesmen that came to Christ Wow, watching that movie. We got letters and emails from high school and college football teams that watched Facing the Giants. I mean, we sent a copy to a guy with the Green Bay Packers. They showed the coach agreed to show one clip of it in a team meeting. And Brett Favre was on the back row. And they showed the death crawl scene. Yeah, And Brett Favre said, that guy reminds me of my dad. Brutal, <laughs> you know, the coach. And, and we gave copies 
of that movie to every member of the Packers organization, from the president to the custodians. Now, how does a church in southwest Georgia get that opportunity? Only God can do that. Yeah, I mean, um, as a as a Chicagoan, you know, my my first thought is, of course, the Packers need Jesus. Um, <laughs> so, so, but then, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just a. I, I get where you're saying it's it's a, a, a who are we to have an influence like this? Right, right? and that's right. a that's a big deal. And and I'll give you another one. Um, so guys started to kind of warm up to it, especially when the next year I showed up and gave them all a free DVD. It's amazing what free stuff for preachers for your credibility with them. Um, But we got a phone call about being on Dr. Phil. And uh, I said, okay. And they said, well, we'd really like to get you guys on Oprah. I said, no. Uh, Her definition of spirituality and our definition is not the same. They said, but look who you could reach. I said, look who we could confuse. Mm. So it was Alex and myself and Kirk Cameron and Dan, the whole studio for that. It was all about fireproof. The whole thing was on the divorce rate among firemen. And the whole studio was filled with firemen and their wives. And literally while we're filming a Dr. Phil, there are 120 firemen and their wives praying for God to use that film. Now, only God, Dr. Phil, four times in that episode said, I'm behind this movie. We mm-hmm. we need to support this movie. And our marketing people feel like that could have put another 750,000 people in the theater. Now, how in the world would I ever get onto Dr. Phil? Right. Right. I no mean, I, there, there's there's, no there's not a lot of producers knocking down that door for no. a pastor from Albany. No. to, Right. No. So, I mean, for us, it was a God thing from beginning to end. I had a friend of mine who said, you know, Michael, God was probably looking for somebody in L.A. to make films in a church. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. He kept moving across the country and finally got to Albany, Georgia and found some knucklehead that said, yeah, we'll do it. And it's, I mean, it has literally been exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ever hoped or imagined. I, I'm curious about the impact that this had on your preaching. Did you see the the pictures as an extension of a preaching, teaching, evangelistic ministry? Um, how how did you go through the? We're kind of into the the realm of senior leadership at this moment, as opposed to just preaching. Right. But how did you keep all of this working together on the mission God had given you? Well, to shoot a movie only takes about 35 days. So you do it all in about 35 days. And then your very small team edits, color correction, does all that. So my job was to make sure we didn't become a movie production company that had church. We were a church that 35 to 45 days out of the year, out of a year, we shot a movie, and then three years later, we would do another one. And we would have 1,200, 1,500 volunteers in the church, everything from security to casseroles. Right. I mean, 
everybody gained weight. We didn't have food services. We had casseroles <laughs> and a lot of pies. And that cakes. is everything I imagine uh, about a Baptist church in Georgia. That's, absolutely. that's the best of all. We yeah. were all of it and more. <laughs> uh, and so I had to make sure a couple of things. We had people from, I think, 18 different countries that showed up that wanted to see the church that made the movie. Mm. And we had like 45 states. And they would show up and like the guy that was the head usher at the main doors was the guy that prayed over the lockers and facing the giants. And they're like, that's the guy that prayed. And then they would see the dad that was in the wheelchair and he'd be walking down the aisle with his Bible. He can walk. <laughs> he can really walk. You know, And you're thinking they're just acting. And these are church members. So we got to shoot it a hundred times to get just enough footage that they look like they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of take 12 yeah. and take 14. And so we had to actually set up a separate area for people that came to meet people who were in the movies so that they didn't get lost in the, these are people that leave, live a half a mile away that want to talk to us about being members of Sherwood. Right. So I, I had to shepherd the pulpit. I had to shepherd the films and to say, there are times when we talk about it, but 48 Sundays out of the year, you're probably not going to hear anything about it because our job is to teach the word, preach the word and evangelize the lost. That's our job. And so like, but for every major thing, uh, script, casting, editing, final edit, music, we would bring the core team to the altar and have the leadership of the church come pray over them. Because for us, Dan, unity was the key. We could not ask people to spend money to go support something if we weren't in unity. And I think that's the role of the shepherd to build unity. Here's what we're here for, and here's what we're not here for. Uh, we're not here to try to make a name for ourselves. I mean, Albany, Georgia. I mean, you you can't find it. I mean, most GPS can't <laughs> find it. You know, luggage ends up in Albany, New York. That's supposed to go to us. And uh, so I think it was... And our people did a really good job of enjoying the moment, uh, you know, and learning to do something they had never done before in their lives, like makeup. My wife did the costumes and oh no way and uh, and she was in charge of all the casting with the Kendricks and with Jim and all of those things. We had to be in unity. I mean, it wasn't like I could come in and go, all right. I know the four of you want that guy to do that, but I don't want him. So I overrule you. It was a room of equals. And we figured if the five of us can't agree, how can we ask God to bless this? So I would use a clip every now and then. The other thing we did, the Kendricks did some books that tied to it. I did a book called Fireproof Your Life, and I did a book called Courageous yeah. Living. And then B&H did Bible studies associated with that. So like when we showed the films in the theaters, 
we would invite people to a fireproof six weeks Bible study. And one of the Kendricks would teach it. And so if you'd like to know more about fireproofing your marriage, here's the location. We're going to show you a clip. We're going to talk about why it's in there. But we're teaching them about marriage. Courageous, we're teaching them about, you know, being men of God. So we did Bible studies to go along with them. So a pastor could take them and use them like a take your church to the movie theater, do a Wednesday night Bible study invite the community. Yeah, every it, it's a it's a beautiful application of what the church has done for centuries where art leads towards discipleship. And right. uh that's a that's a beautiful thing. Well, and what I what I hate is that somewhere along the line we let the devil steal the music and the arts. Right. And uh I used to tell people that movies are the stained glass windows of the 21st century. Man, isn't that the truth? Yeah, every pixel today represents what used to be a pane of glass before. Yes, right. Yeah, right. Michael, I'd love to. Uh, this we could talk for hours. I I love uh, when you and I have a chance to get together. I, I you know we've had this conversation today around preaching and around your ministry and how God has really uh, positioned you in different ways to both be effective and to be a learner. Uh, you're in a season now where um, you're you're a sage. Right. You're schooling guys like me and, and, uh, you've, you've, uh, uh, you're the pastor emeritus at Sherwood. And, uh, how would you encourage preaching today? Uh, guys like me, people who are trying to be faithful to Jesus. So much of what you just said resounded around unity. How how would you encourage preaching that inspires unity? Well, I think part of that is you have to pour into your core. Uh, they have to know you. They have to trust your heart. Um, I had a core group of lay leaders around me. And anytime we did anything, whether it was a building program, uh, multi-million dollar expansion, church planting, whatever it was, uh, we would pray about it for a month. And then we'd come together, and if we weren't all in agreement, we'd pray about it some more. Because here's what I would always tell them. The Holy Spirit never votes yes and no on the same issue. I mean, you get people coming to church, and, you know, 92 people say God led them to vote this way, and eight people say God led them to vote. Well, somebody's wrong. I mean— Yeah. In the book of Acts, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Yep. They were in unity. There was an issue. It was contentious, but they were in unity. Doesn't mean uniformity, but you build unity at the core leadership. So when we would make an announcement, I would put those guys up on a platform and I would say the men, and it was like 12 men. I would say the men standing behind me represent 278 years of experience in this church. And we are of one mind. So a guy looks at and said, well, yeah, he's my Sunday school teacher. Uh, yeah, I go duck hunting with him. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we like the same football team. I'll go ask him. 
And so now I've got these silent voices standing behind me that everybody's looking at and saying, okay, all right, that's no fluke. So when I left, I said, guys, I'm going to give you the name of the guy I think's the next pastor of this church, but you have to call him. I'm not going to rubber stamp him. You have to call him. But I believe if you get with God, you're going to come to the same conclusion. And one of the guys said, well, what, what, what if he's not the guy? I said, good luck. <laughs> I said, I don't have another name. I said, guys, here's what you got to have. You got to have a guy who is so in love with where he is that God has to pry his hands off of where he is to move him. You don't need a guy here after 31 and a half years that's looking at Sherwood as a stepping stone. I mean, just think about the story of your grandfather becoming the pastor of Moody and then Erwin Lutzer because he's leaving one day. So I'm sick. You're going to preach. Yeah, we've told that story on the podcast. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a God story. I mean, yeah. that is a total God story. And I, I think unity is birthed in the spirit. I think it's birthed in humility. I think it's also birthed in preachers who don't strut when they walk, who move slowly through the crowd. I used I, I tell preachers all the time, come early, walk the room, stay late. It'll save you 15 hours of counseling. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it'll yeah. make like, like you started this conversation, it'll make you a better preacher. Right. Right. You'll know where your people are and you'll be able to, so, some days, you know, I'm surprised at the conversations that you have 15 minutes before the service starts that changes yeah. Yeah. your heart, your whole heart for why God has put that text on the table for that day yeah. or, or a point in the, yeah. the message that's going to really, you, you just see the sharpening of that in real time. Well, Dan, um, I'll tell you one quick, one of the things I started was when we would have new members, and I started this in 1989, I would have a guy at the front and he would say, this is Michael and Terry Cat and their daughters, Erin and Haley. They're moving here from Oklahoma and uh, they're in the Connect group Sunday school class. And so I'd start talking to them. I'd say, hey, glad you're here. You're an answer to prayer. One of the things we prayed is God would send us people that would help us fulfill the vision that we have for this church. And if they had babies, I would see if the baby would let me hold it. Yeah. And if they had small children, I would see if I could pick up. Dan, I cannot tell you how many babies and small children in 31 years that I picked up. And sometimes they're seven and eight years old, but they'd reach, they would see it and then they'd reach with their hands and I'd pick them up. They'd show up on the IMAGs and see their face on the IMAG, ah! and they point, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so I would try to make everything about that personal. So if I knew the guy was a Marine, I'd say, thank you for defending our freedoms. Mm. If I knew the guy worked at Procter and Gamble, I'd say, man, we got so many people They've come through this church with Procter and Gamble. Uh, thank you for what you do. We all use your products, you know. Uh, and then, as we started 
becoming more and more diverse. Because the last three years I was there, 65% of our additions and baptisms were non-Anglo. Oh, wow. So I would say you're an answer to prayer for us. And so one of the things that brings unity, especially in this toxic climate that we're in right now, is I told our staff, we will not tweet, we will not talk about politics. Because with 65% of our congregation moving toward being African-American, they're probably voting Democrat. And our conservative white members are probably voting Republican. Now, why would I want to sacrifice the gospel over an election every two years? I miss the chance. And so we're not going to do it. Politicians are flawed. Politics is flawed. Go vote your conscience, but leave it outside. Don't bring it in here. And I said, I'm not going to sacrifice the ability to share the love of God because somebody thinks I said the wrong thing about whatever candidate. Um, so we left the politics out. There's nothing more divisive right now than politics and catch phrases. So I would say to any young pastor, avoid the temptation of the cheap shot on your social media. Just stay away from it. it you're not you're not going to gain any friends by it. And the first time you disagree with them, they're going to block you anyway. So right. just stay away from it. And for young guys, uh, we, we, not young guys, me, I'm 70 in December. We all tend to go with trends. Your grandfather's gift was anchored to the word. Current with the times, but anchored to the word. He he stayed anchored because that's the one thing that doesn't change. Culture changes, definitions change. People are using different dictionaries than we use. And we can get in a spitting contest with them all day long. But it doesn't advance the kingdom. You know, I asked your grandfather one time, I said, how can you preach in so many different kinds of churches? Yeah, because he was he was uh, all over the place. Free churches, all over the place. Presbyterian churches and Methodist churches. And, but and he'd go to charismatic church, and, you know. Yeah, and you just say, right. "How can he do that?" He said, "Michael, I don't preach on secondary issues in those places. I just preach about Jesus." Hmm. And I thought that's why he's Warren Wiersbe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're Michael Cat, and we're grateful for you and, and the voice that God gave uh, has given you and, and gave you uh, throughout the past uh, years in, in the ministry at Sherwood. And uh, thanks for your your uh, time today, Michael, and sharing some of your wisdom uh, with a young preacher like me and with so many of us. I hope that was a helpful conversation with a legendary pastor. Uh, you can follow Michael on Twitter. He's got so much that he's pumping out just as a, a ferocious tweeter uh, at Michael Cat C-A-T-T uh, you can also connect with us on Twitter I'm the one behind the at Warren Wearsby account pumping out old quotes and writings from Triple Dubs himself that's what our family would call him Warren W. Wearsby W-W-W or 
triple dubs. Uh, hey, we've got a couple great conversations coming up in the pipeline. Before the new year, I sat down with a friend of our families uh, from 10 of those and 10 publishing, Jonathan Carswell. He's got a bunch of recently released books by Warren Wearsby, and he's got a great philosophy on Christians and books and even how pastors can crack it in the publishing world coming up. And I want to share with you the short snippet of our conversation that will be coming here in just a couple of weeks. As Christians, we are people of the book. You know, Christians turn to the book. And as a result, we turn also to other books to help us both understand, apply, teach, train, share the book. We don't want to become people of books. We want to become people of the book, though other books can help us. I'll often say, please don't read Christian books at the expense of reading your Bible. Look for that coming up in just a couple of days. I'm so grateful for Jonathan and his family and what they're doing to help us follow Jesus. The, the books, they got them. Well, uh, I hope today's conversation has helped you uh, take a step further with Jesus and in, in your ministry and even your understanding of how God speaks to us through his word. If you're someone who preaches, I hope that you'll share this podcast with other people. You'll subscribe and you'll get all of uh, the good examples of preaching that you've heard over the past couple of decades from a trusted Bible teacher, Warren Wearsby. Until next time, I'm Dan. We'll see you then.